Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 29th, 2017. On today's show in the news, we'll be talking about the Justice League score. We'll be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Coming to America sequel. J.J. Abrams is remaking a recent anime hit, Stranger Things 2. And Hocus Pocus, the sequel, is not what we expected. Uh, with me on today's show are Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And why trend buoy? Hey, everyone. Um, let's just dive into this because we've got actually a lot of news to talk about today. It's, it's actually been picking up now that the film festival is over. And we've learned a bit about the Justice League score. Apparently, it will include John Williams' iconic Superman theme. Ben, what do we know? Yes, Danny Elfman, who is providing the score for the upcoming Justice League movie, said in a recent interview with Billboard that he is going to be including the classic John Williams theme in his actual score. Uh, he said, there are a few little fan moments. I instated a moment of the Wonder Woman theme that Hans Zimmer did for Batman versus Superman, but I also had two minutes where I had the pleasure of saying, let's do John Williams Superman. Uh, and that, for me, was heaven, because now I have a melody to twist, and I'm using it in an actually very dark way, in a dark moment. It's the kind of thing that some fans will notice, some won't. It's a moment where we're not really sure whose side he's on. So 
Oh, that wow. This, this is a roller coaster ride of a quote. It really <laughs> is. That was my I, that was sort of my reaction reading it at first, because I sort of had the the initial response to that was like, oh, great. I'm thinking that uh, reintroducing John Williams classic sort of hopeful um, Superman theme might indicate a new direction for the DC extended universe's version of Superman, uh, who uh, we've talked about many times is definitely not the Superman that we grew up with. And the one that we know from the pages of the comic books It's much more dark and dour. So I was wondering, Oh, this might be a cool opportunity for them to sort of change directions and, and signal a new, um, yeah, basically a new, a newly reborn version of Superman. But then Elfman immediately sort of twists the knife by saying now he has a new melody to twist. He's using it in a dark way. So, of course, this is what the DC Extended Universe is going to be. I don't know why I ever expected anything else from them. It's all dark. It's all gritty. Uh, what do you guys think about this? I, yeah, I also had the same reaction to this quote as you did, Ben. I was excited at first that this was a return to the earnest classic Superman that we knew, but then it's dark and twisted, of course. But to play devil's advocate, he is, spoiler alert, coming back from the dead, so he may not be in the best mood or, you know, (laughs) coming from another universe, whatever uh, route they take. Uh, So... I guess it'll be a a brief moment. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm still holding out hope that Justice League will be the turning point for the DCEU just because I am am a believer in the DC comics and I want it to be good. Yeah. Peter, what do you think? Well, I just want to say that uh, I have heard recently from a couple friends who have seen or supposedly seen Justice League that it's an actual good movie. And I know there's been a lot of reports online from test screening, some buzz coming out of there that it's a it's a good movie. Uh, I've been hearing that a lot. So take that for what it is worth. Um, John Williams superman theme is one of my favorite john williams songs uh you know i mean i know there's probably some stuff from star wars that are is higher up there for me but uh you know i just saw him at the bowl and one of the last he he did uh some standing ovation uh songs and one of them was superman and the other was et and i I, for me i think this is in my top five john williams uh i almost wish that they kind of tried to implement that originally in these you know these Zack Snyder Superman movies but I guess Brian Singer tried to do something similar so I guess they had to be a little bit different but um I don't know let's wait and see it'll be interesting uh to to hear it in there because um it is so different than than these movies Mm -hmm. from DC to Marvel we have heard that ABC actually wanted to cancel Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after season four, but Disney refused. H.T., you wrote the article for the site. What do we know? So as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is gearing up for season five later this year, uh, we've heard recent reports from Variety that ABC initially wanted to cancel the show after uh, its last season finished airing, which was season four. And uh, Disney pulled rank and said, no to that so they uh they demanded that abc renew the show again for another season at least um 
So this wasn't uh, a specific target towards Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but uh, because ABC was facing an overall ratings rut, according to the report, and they were just willing to make some cuts, um, and particularly that was going to include Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And um, this was especially because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has started to deviate uh, from the larger MCU. It was starting to become its own separate story. And we've heard reports recently where Kevin Feige basically said that the Marvel TV universe is basically completely separate from the MCU. And uh, while some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. showrunners and cast members were a little bit angry about that, that has led to some of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s best and most compelling storylines, from my personal opinion. So uh, I think season three and season four especially were some of their most ambitious and cohesive uh, stories that we've seen. So I'm hoping that season five, they'll continue their sort of upward trajectory and will prove that Disney was right in saving them from the axe. So you're still watching this show. I am one of the few people still watching the show. <laughs> There's so many people that I know, like myself, that stopped watching in season two um, and just kind of gave up on this. But I've heard from so many people that the season three and four were so strong, especially with the Ghost Rider arc and uh, yeah. Inhumans. Um, yeah, season three was surprisingly strong because they the Inhumans arc was a little bit week uh, at the beginning, but then they introduced a really strong villain uh, in the form of Hive, uh, who was like this parasitic inhuman. And it became one of their most interesting and just like one of the, my favorite thing about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that they really stick to cohesive and consistent writing. So the plot is always really tight. There's never really any inconsistency, which is a, something that I've had an issue with with a lot of like Marvel shows or other ABC shows. I'm thinking about Once Upon a Time, but that's unrelated. Uh, but it's I've always admired that. Like my biggest the biggest c- complaint I have with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that it can get boring. And I don't think that's the worst uh, thing it can do. It's It has its lulls, but when it's good, it's good. It's not like the best TV show on there, but it's still delivering quality episodes mostly every week that, you know, gets kind of uh, looked over. It's tough with these network shows because you have, you know, a bigger number of episodes than usually you do on Netflix or AMC or any of the premium channels um but i don't know it would take it would take a lot to suck me back into agents of shield yeah it's a lot of episodes um i'll just say it's doing really well for its prime time network order like it consistently delivers very good arcs despite having to deal with 22 episodes a season which is more than i can say for some of the marvel netflix shows so <laughs> i guess like I would even rate Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. above a few Netflix shows that will remain unnamed. Well, I'll say it, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, probably. <laughs> I, I think most people would agree with you on that one. <laughs> um, moving on, Coming to America is a sequel we've heard about for decades now. Um, and now it seems like it's going to be happening. It has a director. Ben, what do we know? 
Yes, the 1988 comedy, Coming to America, which starred Eddie Murphy. I think he was only 21 at the time, or playing a 21-year-old character anyway, so that's how long ago this was. Uh, This, yeah, sequel to Coming to America has been sort of, as Peter mentioned, in the works for a long, long time. Uh, The most recent update is that Blackish creator Kenya Barris is going to be rewriting the script, and Jonathan Levine is going to be directing. Uh, Levine, you might recognize his name. He's the guy who directed 50-50, The Wackness. Uh, the night before and most recently the Amy Schumer Goldie Hawn comedy Snatched which I didn't see but other than that I like uh, most of Levine's movies so he seems like a strange choice for this particular project just because maybe anybody would seem like a strange choice for coming to America too after so many years and it's one of those projects that like Eddie Murphy has said oh it's not happening oh yeah we're sort of thinking about it oh it's not happening like at one point um in his article uh, on Slash Film, you can read about this. Chris mentions that um, Eddie Murphy like tweeted about his involvement, and then he deleted the tweet, claimed his Twitter account had been hacked, and then deleted his entire Twitter account. So it seems like, oh my god, yeah. There's a lot of uh, uh, you know up in the air thoughts about what the hell is going on with Coming to America, uh, whatever it's going to be called, Coming to America Two. But um, but yeah, it, I guess it's happening and Jonathan Levine is directing. Peter, I think, are you a fan of his work? I mean, I'm a fan of his earlier work. I like the whackness. I liked um, 50-50 um, and I liked, um, I didn't love that. Uh, what's the Christmas movie he did with Seth Rogen? And uh, the Night Before. The Night Before. Uh, he, he does have a good uh, sense of heart and comedy. I, I don't know. It just seems like such a weird project for him to undertake. Yeah, and it, definitely. And I, I'm, and, and by the way, uh, Eddie Murphy was like 26 when Coming to the okay. Character was made. Okay, um, good to know. I'm, but I'm wondering what the story will be this time around. Like, what what could it possibly be? Like, you know, him going back home? Is that yeah, like... I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's um, a very weird... And like, is Arsenio Hall going to be involved? Is James Earl Jones <laughs> going to be involved? Like, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a weird one. And I, I've only seen this movie a couple times, you know, back when I was a kid. So I don't really remember the <laughs> potentially intricate mythos of the coming to America universe. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't really know where they can go with this. It's it's an enjoyable movie, and one thing that I didn't really realize when I saw it when I was a kid is Eddie Murphy plays, like, so many characters in the movie. Oh, yeah. Like, that he, was definitely, like, a precursor to his, um, uh, like, Nutty Professor days and all that stuff. Yeah, so I wonder if that w- would be something that he would do again um, in, in playing these multiple comedy roles. H.G., do you have any experience with uh, Coming to America? I have only seen it once um, on cable, although it was fairly recently recently um it's a good movie but yeah i don't really know where they could pick up because they do end up back in what country are they from uh whatever fictional african country they're from oh yeah it's called uh zamunda i believe (laughs) yeah so i'm not sure like it's a basic happy ever after so i i don't know what they could do maybe his kid you know yeah he's probably that's what they'll go through I mean, it's probably going to be that. It's probably going to be some kind of legacy equal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if it's. Uh, I bet you. I bet you this is what it is. I bet you that they moved to the United States. They've been living in the United States, and the kid wants to go back home, kind of thing. That's what mm-hmm. I'm betting. But who knows? Yeah. Uh, and the kid can't tell anybody that he's the son of the king. And uh, okay. <laughs> um, 
moving on from that to another uh, film that we never thought was going to get a sequel. We've been talking about lately. Hocus Pocus is kind of sort of getting a sequel. We learned yesterday that a script was in development and it was in the works for the Disney Channel. I'm kind of disappointed. This is not what I was expecting. <laughs> HT, you're at the story for Slash Film. What do we know? Yes. So yesterday we learned that uh, the original Hocus Pocus co-writer, Mick Garris, was well, he was speaking about a Hocus Pocus sequel. And today we learned that was actually not the case. Um, the project that uh, is in the works is a Hocus Pocus remake in the form of a TV movie made by Disney Channel. So the new Hocus Pocus TV remake will be written by Scarlett Lacey and will be executive produced by David Krishner, who was the original movie producer. And none of the original stars or uh, writers or directors will be involved. So that will mean no Bette Midler, no Sarah Jessica Parker, no Kathy and Jimmy. And uh, the original director, Kenny Ortega, who was behind Disney Channel hits like High School Musical and The Descendants, is not involved either. Um, So it is a big letdown because this Hocus Pocus sequel was another one that had been in talks forever and had was an idea that had bounced around Hollywood for a couple decades, so much so that Bette Midler had declared that she would not be uh, participating in it. Although as recently as last year, Sarah Jessica Parker said she was still on board to return. And um, as recently as yesterday, Mick Garris said that it was, there was going to be a sequel with all the original stars returning, and unfortunately, unfortunately, that is not the case. So it is going to be a remake with entirely new stars, uh, and it will be a reimagining of the original 1993 movie. Did, did you grow up watching this movie? I did grow up watching it. So. I did not have cable as a kid, but I still managed to watch Hocus Pocus every year at Halloween because I had cousins who had cable and we would just, you know, gather and we when we were too young to go out trick or treating, we would just watch Hocus Pocus and it was a great movie. I still remember Bette Midler singing I put a spell on you and it's it's so fun. It's so charming and silly and campy. <laughs> no, and I, I think this, to me, reminds me of, you know, like in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of direct-to-DVD sequels and remakes of movies. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what it just seems like this is. It seems like they're just, like, you know, doing it for the money. They're, you know, slapping the name on it. They're doing, like, a. it's going to be a low – it's probably going to be a lower budget. You know, it's going to feel TV. It's not going to feel like a movie. And it's going to be released on Disney Channel. And no one's going to care because – if you if you want to see that story, you're going to want to see the original. Yeah. And if you're going exactly. to remake it, why not remake it for the big screen with a bigger budget and, you know, today's effects or something? You know, this just seems like it's uh, worse in every possible respect. Yeah, it's just trying to tap into that nostalgia money, but they're not going to get any money. Just they're just going to have viewers uh, tuning into their TV remake. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a letdown definitely from all of the anticipation we've had for this no longer existent sequel. Um, some photos from stranger things two uh, have c- come out and some new details have been revealed about this season's quote unquote shadow monster. Ben, you wrote it up for the say. What, what do we know about the shadow monster? Yes. Yeah, so if you have seen the trailer for 
Stranger Things season two, you probably remember that uh, Noah Shapps, Will Byers, walks outside of an arcade and he looks up into the sky and there's lightning flashing and the sky's all red and he sees this multi-armed, tentacled creature up in the sky. And that is apparently the big bad of Stranger Things season two. And the kids refer to it as a shadow monster. Uh, The Duffer brothers, who are the co-creators of the show basically said in a new interview with Entertainment Weekly, they sort of talked about their inspirations and stuff. They said, uh, our big reference for the Demogorgon in season one was mostly Jaws. It's a shark, and the other dimension is the underwater. So there has to be something more sentient, and that's that big thing in the sky. There's an H.P. Lovecraft sort of approach, this interdimensional being that's sort of beyond human comprehension. We purposely don't want to go too much into what it is or what it wants. So that was the quote. I'm not sure if he means... We don't want to go too much into it right now in a pre-show interview or if in the actual show the kids aren't really going to know too much about what it is. Um, But uh, Ross Duffer, the other Duffer brother, said, I think the difference is you don't really see how it's all tied together until later, but it's all connected to the singular threat, which is tied into the shape that Will sees in the sky. Will is the way through which we're able to understand what's going on. So that's what we know so far. And there are a couple pictures uh, of uh, Millie Bobby Brown's 11 with uh, sporting a curly haircut and uh, David Harbour's uh, Jim Hopper, who looks to be in some sort of hospital gown or some sort of weird, (laughs) weird shirt, weird garment there. So, yeah, you can read all about that at Slash Film. Do you guys think that they need to explain, you know, the origins or the what is going on with these monsters or should it always be kept mysterious? I, I mean, they said that they've had a plan that they're, you know, they, if that they have like a Bible uh, explaining it all. Um, but is this something that needs to, do they need to explain the lost smoke monster? Do you know what I mean? Like, or can this just right. be a monster that these kids are fighting? What do you, what do you guys think? Uh, HT, why don't you go first? Well, I'm personally a fan of keeping the intrigue alive or keeping it in the shadows, as it were. (laughs) Um, And I also like the idea of the Lovecraftian monster. Um, That's a really interesting and visually stunning idea that I don't think I've seen much on television. So I like that idea. And also the description of the monster sounds a little bit like the creature... Uh, this is spoilery, but the creature in it. So when mm. that is later revealed, which is an interesting also uh, tie-in to that sort of sort of eighties nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so I I like I like it myster- mysterious. I don't need a whole you know prequel franchise describing uh, the villain of the piece. I like to keep things. Um, I, like, I like to keep the stakes high when there is more mystery involved. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I do think that it might be a little weird for this show, which I think is planning to run for something like four seasons. If these kids don't ever really um, learn anything about the the upside down and the creatures that are in it, if they're just sort of running scared from them the whole time, it might feel like the show is um, spinning its wheels a little bit. So I, I feel like it worked really well in the first season because we are just like these kids where we don't really know what the hell is going on. We're being introduced to this other dimension just like they are. But I feel like these kid characters are smart enough where they would 
I hope they would try to start learning about it and, you know, putting the pieces together and stuff like that. So I agree that obviously I don't want any sort of like didactic explanation of like, this is this thing and this is exactly where it came <laughs> from and this is why and whatever. But I, I do feel like uh, I hope there's a little bit of progress made um, by the characters in the show as the uh, series continues to progress. Yeah, I think it's important to establish some sets of rules, even if it's vague of like, you know, how they can combat this monster or where it appears. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. like little things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to tell the whole story, but it needs to tell us something. Um, but moving on from that, finally, to the J.J. Abrams story I teased at the beginning of the show, and that is he is re- remaking an anime hit called Your Name. This is a, a film that was on HT's best of the year list that we we, we had on the podcast a, a month ago or so month and a half ago um so ht i mean you, you're a big fan of this i don't think ben or i have either seen this um nope. uh, tell us about this so your name is this really sublime metaphysical coming of age movie uh that was the highest grossing movie in japan uh in 2016 and is the highest grossing animated film since Spirited Away hit the box office, uh, I think, more than a decade ago. And so it's a, it's a huge hit in Japan, and for good reason. It's a incredibly beautiful, incredibly moving film uh, that takes this sort of comedic body swap movie and turns it into this sort of allegory about uh, love across distances and longing and the sort of emptiness of having something missing in your life. And it has, you know, time travel elements and a a bunch of sci-fi twists in there as well. But these sort of supernatural elements are only there to prop up the mundanity and like the realism of the story. And I cannot... ramble about this movie enough I love it a lot and that's why I'm very defensive of it when I hear that J.J. Abrams and his studio Bad Robot are planning to adapt this movie into a live action film in Hollywood uh, with the help of Oscar nominated arrival screenwriter Eric Heisserer Um, it's not said yet whether Abrams will direct this film. It's just saying that he is currently helming this project. And it's also in collaboration with the studio that uh, was behind the original film, Toho. Um, so it's it seems like a collaborative process, which does bode well for this. But um, there, there have been a surge lately in very misguided anime adaptations uh so recently we've seen movies like ghost in the shell death note beforehand we saw dragon ball uh what else there were plenty of other misguided movies that were uh sort of lost in translation when brought over from japan to hollywood and a lot of that was due to issues with whitewashing and with representation and with anime adaptations, you're always going to deal with these sort of issues of marginalization because a lot of these stories are so ingrained in their Japanese, the Japanese culture and the roots with which these stories um, are influenced by. And um, your name is also uh, one of these stories. I didn't really mention this in my um, piece on SlashFilm.com, but uh, for fear of spoilers, but there is a lot of influence from the 2011 
uh, tsunami that hit Japan and devastated uh, a huge portion of the coast. And it's it becomes this sort of uh, uh, dire, melancholic um, sort of state. It becomes like these dire stakes in this film and uh, is heavily influenced by that. And um, it because this is so this movie is so um, is so inspired and so uh, coded with that event, it will be difficult to bring the story over to the U.S. But I also do talk about how it kind of is a universal story in a way. Um, it deals with issues of sort of longing um, and fate. And that's the story kind of has its similarities in movies like Serendipity or other such fate-based time-twisty movies such as Arrival. And that's why I kind of approach this movie cautiously because it is such a rich and special movie for what it is and how it's based in this Japanese uh, inspiration and roots. But I wonder if it can be recontextualized into a story that is more universal or is more westernized. So this is kind of what I grapple with in my story on SlashFilm.com. And I don't really have the answers. I do hope that uh, Abrams and Bad Robot, who have, uh, after the events of Oscar So White, they have put out a diversity quota. And I hope that they will follow through with that with the... Um, with the remake of Your Name and perhaps not make a direct remake, but make a something that is someone inspired by it, such, such as The Departed or The Magnificent Seven. Yeah, and it, it should be mentioned that J.J. Abrams recently, I know, has been pushing for more div diverse casts and div diverse crews. And, you know, obviously, you know, he did a Star Wars movie that starred a woman and a black man and do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, I, I feel like, uh, I would, I have more faith in him than the, these others that have <laughs> like, yeah, watched stuff, but maybe, maybe that's, uh, Ill, Ill advised. I'm just wondering, do you think, do you think, uh, like ghost in a shell, um, seemed like a movie that they should have just kept it in Tokyo and kept it. Th like, is this a film that do you think they will bring it over to America do you know what I mean, like, uh, yeah. setting-wise, or? I think, I think they could. Um, I think that, like I was saying, it could be recontextualized into an American story. Um, these issues of longing, of uh, sort of this lost love, and of having that missing piece that grows without, that grows with you throughout your life, it can be brought into an American context, and... I think that, you know, it I I do trust I think JJ Abrams and uh the arrival screenwriter cuz it was also really touched into those themes of the metaphysical uh yearning and human emotions. Um Eric Heiser, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the screenwriter's name. Uh I do, I I like their work. I like uh, I've been an ardent fan of Lo fan of Lost, a huge defender of that, um, and I I am torn because this movie is so special to me in its own unique way, and I am 
uh, I'm fearful that any Hollywood adaptation would neuter or um, water down the initial impact that this story had on me. But I think that if they make it their own and turn it into a completely different story while keeping parts of its inspiration, it could become a worthwhile remake. I don't know. I'm actually quite, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. This might be going against what I usually argue for in terms of diversity, in terms of anime adaptations, but I like this team and I just, I, I don't know. I it's, do it wish. Seems like, it seems like they could, they could set it in America and have, um, you know, Asian actors star in it. And that would be a way to sort of uh, strike a I, balance between the two. That would be pretty awesome. No, I would like that. And I think that it would be interesting if they had it, they had it set across countries as well, instead of just uh, across um, one country. So, for example, in in this in your name, it's just set in the Japanese countryside and in Tokyo. So it's about a city boy and a country girl, and their sort of intrinsic connection that they suddenly strike up uh, because of this body swap. And I think it would be interesting if they had not just a sort of different background mix, but also a cross-cultural mix. That would be really interesting. Oh, that would be cool. Someone in Japan and someone in America. Yeah. I would like that, actually. See, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, this could be good. This could be good. I just hope that they don't water it down in any way. It it should also be mentioned that we, we mentioned on the podcast that Paramount is very upset with J.J. Abrams. He you know, he has a product, his production company, Bad Robot, is housed at Paramount, and they spend lots of money on that. And you know, he kind of ditched them to make a Star Wars movie, and uh, he's ditching and him then again. He did it again, <laughs> yeah, to make another Star Wars movie. So I, I, I heard from around Hollywood, he's been, you know, scrambling to get projects in, like going at Paramount mm-hmm. and Bad Robot, and this is obviously the first one to be announced. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see if it actually happens. I, I, I like the team involved in it and i'm excited for it and uh, i still got to check out this anime um i know that you've been raving about it yeah i feel like i am not really a big anime watcher but listening to you talk about it ht makes me want to check this out so i'll have to do that it's so good and check out um makoto shinkai's other works as well i talked about this on the podcast previously but his uh short film five centimeters per second is heavily inspires your name and it delves into a lot of those similar themes but is a lot more just photorealistic uh languid depict depictions of tokyo life so if you're if you want to have more of a slow burn movie that one is a good one but your name is definitely a lot more uplifting and uh has less less of a bittersweet ending cool you can find more on all these stories on slashfilm.com. You can find my work on the site as well as at slashfilm on Twitter. You can find Ben at Ben Pears on Twitter. You can find HT at HTranBui on Twitter and the Millennial Falcon podcast. And uh, you can listen to this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, uh, Google Play, all the popular podcast apps. It's published every weekday. Please send us your questions for the mailbag, Peter at slashfilm.com leave your name in general geographic location in case we mention it on the air and uh please review rate uh spread the word uh and we will talk to you tomorrow